Hey, folks, welcome back to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. Man, it feels like it's been forever since I've been on this. I've had something going like every week. Anyway, um, we are here with our panel. Uh, first off, we have Dan Shapir. Hey, from Tel Aviv, coming on a good connection, finally. We also have Steve Edwards. Yo, 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 coming at you from the Portland area in Oregon. AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you from Latin. <clears throat> Yeah, we'll just go with that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. Um, we have two special guests this week. We have Yaroslav Lapin. I hope I said that right. Uh, coming from our neck of the woods. He said he was from Utah. And I was like, oh, I know where that is. You want to yes. introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. I'm Yaroslav. Uh, most people know me like on the internet as JLRK. And uh, yeah, um, today I think is like the record-breaking like hit should be happening. <laughs> So we will see. There we go. We also have Andre, who's rocking an awesome beard. Hey, how's it going? Calling in from uh, just north of Lake Tahoe. Yeah, beautiful out there. I think um, this is the first podcast I've done with somebody in their car. Yeah, uh, not in my my electricity went out at the house, so I had to escape downtown to like, you know, for, for oh, the, oh. a good Verizon connection. Oh, it's also yeah. an, an air conditioning, I would guess. No, no, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna roast. <laughs> He's gonna roast in that car. Yeah, yeah. I hope the uh, the phone doesn't get too hot. I'm gonna, um, if it if it starts to warn me, I will turn on air conditioning. I think it's Good actually deal. illegal to idle in California. You're not that far from the border. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Coming to you live on the highway to Nevada. Anyway. Um, yeah, so we're we're going to be talking about the B2B SaaS kit. And the way I, I've decided I kind of like starting these is just by describing what the problem is. Like, you know, it's like, why why do we need this? Or, or what are people doing that this makes it easier to do? There's like the, the problem why we started building it. And then there's the, I think, I think there's like the real problem. And then there's the problem that we tell everyone about. So the oh, okay. Problem, yeah. So the real problem is that we're having, we've been having a really difficult time getting people to learn about our for-profit SaaS product, right? Which is a customer uh-huh. support solution. And um, so we started thinking about ways to, uh, you know, tell people about it. And tr- traditionally, what most folks do is they'll start like spamming. They'll start sending cold emails or, 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 you know, they'll buy ads. Mm -hmm. You can do blog posts. You can go on podcasts. Um, And all of that takes time and money and and is, is, um, it's also not particularly creative, right? Right. So um, we kind of went back and we were like, so what, why aren't people discovering us organically? And we thought, well, maybe it's because um, there isn't like a, a recipe on the internet even where you can where you can go and like build uh, a b2b application that has all the components necessary to to run a b2b application and we thought if there was one like this and we were like a small optional part of that recipe then maybe people would start discovering us it's a really roundabout way to um do some like marketing i guess Mm -hmm. but the what what the outcome of that is a pretty cool um, sort of a side project, right? The B two B SaaS kit, 
which has very little to do with Fogbender itself, with our you know for-profit startup. Um, but it's been, uh, yeah, and, and I think the, the bigger problem that we kind of be- began to understand is that there just isn't a way to uh, spin up a fully functional B2B uh, app if, and, and our target is like, you just got laid off from Google or from Meta or, you know, and you have a lot of experience, you're, you're a senior engineer and you know this very problem, right? You, you're, you're, you're an expert in some, some field. The last thing you know how to do or want to do is like set up authentication, set up mm-hmm. product analytics and all this other stuff. And uh, what you want to do ideally is just jump into uh, coding business logic for your whatever your insight is, whatever you think your business is going to be. So we right. tried to come up with a way to um, present like this kit that someone like that could spin up in a weekend and actually start playing around with with an actual audience, with actual users uh, really, really quickly. And whether we're a part of it or not is at this point not like that even that interesting. <laughs> so basically to some to really get to the gist of it and again by looking by listening to your description and also obviously also looking at the at your website or the website of this project actually it's an opinionated collection of services and libraries and frameworks that you uh kind of bundle together Right, in in to come up with an opinionated starting point for the development of a SaaS B two B solution. Yeah, and some of it is opinionated. Like I would say, all the open source stuff is very opinion. Like Astro, super opinionated. Even mm-hmm. Middlewind. I think that um, the B two B specific things like um, Propel Auth. I don't think that's opinionated. There's literally one other B2B uh, user authentication solution, which is Clerk, and nothing else. Me, when I say by B2B is like org management, right? So, so as a customer, okay. I sign up and I invite my colleague. That's hard to build. Uh, those two pr- things uh, offer it uh, off the off the shelf. Fogbender is also the only off the shelf B2B support solution where we assume that the the user is a team of people and not just a single individual. In other words, if uh-huh. you, know, you signed up as a team and a member of that team has a question, if the vendor is using Fogbender for support, by default, the entire customer team is going to um, see that question and be able to respond yeah. and um, you know see the, see the vendor's answer. So those are less opinionated, but yeah, everything else uh, is, especially open source stuff, pretty much, yeah. This it's, is good. it's interesting that you talk about it in those terms because, yeah, I mean, I've used a lot of these authentication solutions or um, support solutions or things like that. And the focus is always on user base, right? Like a single person. And so, yeah, the assumption that, hey, look, you know, um, I may be dealing with and, and realistically, you know, as I've done uh, different things or um, worked with different applications and connected with their support. Yeah. If I connect with support and my virtual assistant, I have two of them, connects with support, you know, on the same issue, we're working on three different support tickets or, you know, um, you know, to get them access to something, right? I add them as a team member 
but then they interact with the software as themselves, uh, you know, as, as an individual instead of as part of my team a lot of the times. And that's pretty inconvenient. So yeah, that, that's interesting and, and an interesting take on what we're doing here. Yeah. I'm guessing that, you know, Astro, React, you know, Tailwind. Yeah. A lot of that is just a matter of how you design your software, but you know, the way these others plug into it, um, that, that's really interesting to me. Yeah. So, so when I, when I looked at it and I also told, uh, Yaroslav about it, uh, the first kind of thing oh, that it reminded me of. And it's interesting also to think about this in, in the context of a category. But uh, one of the things that reminded me of is uh, Ken C. Dodd's um, Epic Stack. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but it, it took me a bit of time to figure out the, the, the difference in focus that you're describing. That one is primarily for B2C, where you assume individual users, and one supports B2B, which means you need to be able to, um, like you said, consider a group of users as a single entity. Now, obviously, that entity may contain like a party of one, in which case, so your superset, I guess, of the scenario that uh, Epic Stack is specifically targeting. But like you also said, it kind of limits the options available for some of the parts that you chose because you needed to to have that capability to work with groups yeah i want to i want to actually like uh, address the like the epic stack comparison but just going a bit back to like to this uh thinking of like when we created fogbender we needed to like to showcase like a widget so like some people are like hey we're using nextjs we are using like not right so like how do I integrate into your system? And the question was like, okay, is there like a template where we can use like auth right away? Because what we ended up doing were, were like things where we just have hard-coded values because there is no easy way to authenticate users, moreover, like authenticate teams and all of that stuff. But now in B2B SaaS kit, it's kind of like, hey, here's user ID, here's org ID. That's, that's kind of like all taken care of you. A lot of the starter uh, starter projects, like the whole category, if we start with like create next, create T3 app, right? They will give you uh, kind of like base framework, maybe a few add-ons on top of it. So like maybe like Tailwind or TRPC, uh, but they're not giving you too much um, into kind of like application code. That's where you would usually use like generators if we're talking about like Laravel or um, uh, Rails. Or uh, I think Laravel actually has like a few templates where it's it's more like app-based. And even one of them, I think, has like a t- t- uh, has teams uh, management. But like not everyone wants to use PHP. And it's like especially just for like one feature, right? <laughs> and um, yeah, so, so like all of those starter things they usually are limited to kind of like uh testing or like pre-tier so so like kind of like lower level just like tools they don't go into like application so our thing is a bit more kind of like higher uh higher level um starting point so in in a (laughs) in a comparison between like epic uh stack 
and uh, B2B SaaS kit. The difference is Epic, Epic Stack is a thing for you to like start your project. Yeah, you know what you want to do. You don't want to do kind of like boring parts and you start right away. Our thing is more how you like start a business. <laughs> we already we already have kind of like a like a product that like your team can go in and sign up and like uh, like through Stripe, right? And have like a billing, uh, like team-wide billing, uh, uh, like uh, team-wide team support and all that stuff. So so it's it feels just like a, a bit like higher level. And going back to like opinionated, I think like Epic Stack is a bit more opinionated. So like uh, Kant is, I know the best framework, like Remix. I know the best, uh, the best like UI library, like this one, right? So like he he picks all the all the tools that he he is considers like the best, and mm-hmm. that's kind of like the only way, the only thing that is supported. For us, it's a bit like it's a bit more open ended. So a lot of the tools that we provide they're optional. So the only way for you to kind of like <laughs> to sign into the app is to have like you need to have SPL. Otherwise, like we don't know like <laughs> uh, what to show you, right? We don't need we don't have the data, and we need authentication. Otherwise, like how are we going to you show you like your dashboard, right? So those things are required. You have to you have to set it up. Everything else is optional. So if you like if you don't want Stripe, you want to use something else. Sure, just don't configure the Stripe and like replace it with something else. But that's kind of like on on your time. <laughs> we can't support every possible kind of like permutation of the thing, um, and we are not claiming that this is like the best possible. So, for example, uh, we use Vercel for hosting, but we also have like documentation on kind of like how to undo things. So, uh, if you go to like um, uh, if you start it locally and you go to like slash eject, it will show you like documentation like, hey, here's how you like get rid of Tailwind if you don't like it. Hey, here's how you can like use a different hosting solution if you don't like it for yourself, right? So we are we are a bit uh, <laughs> we are a bit like less sure in that this thing is like the best possible and like no one should use every, any anything else. We will provide you with instructions on how to kind of like how to Un, undo some some of that stuff and yeah <laughs> it's interesting like to think about it this way that you know we had frameworks and then we had meta frameworks and now it seems like we're getting this new category of meta meta frameworks yeah <laughs> and that's and, and then there isn't going to be the next layer where you just describe to ai kind of roughly what you want and then that becomes a meta 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 framework <laughs> Well, just build a business for you. <laughs> I, I think yeah. I think we need more variety in stuff like what you're building. We need more of what you're building. We need what you're building, and we need more of it and more variety of it because there's too much of this. This uh, you know, Facebook does this, or or Google does this. Therefore, I'll do this, which is not at all suited to real business needs or you know, real real scalability for the type of application that you have. Because most likely, if you have a business. Most people, if they have a business, you have to exchange a good or service for money. Whereas you know, Google and all these big companies are just trading funny money and stocks and investors. And there's no product at the end of it. It's a completely different use case. 
Yeah, or they close it right away, right? So like we're already on the countdown for them to close threads, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a you know, I, my opinion is that like it's good to have a one way like, like sort of a this is how you do stuff. I think that's for for uh, someone trying to build a business, that's not a bad um that's not a bad bad message, you know. Like if I see this is working, this was my, this was kind of like my hope, I think with the sample app, if you see it's working and you see it's doing roughly what you want it to do minus your business logic, then I'm, my hope was that we'll find enough people who are like, that's good enough for me. Like, I'll just, I'll just use whatever these, because once you start getting super opinionated, then I mean, the only way to really do stuff is to build everything from scratch, uh, you know, <laughs> more or less. Mm. Yeah, it kind of depends what you mean by from scratch. But uh, going off of what you just explained, uh, it's worth uh, stating that really w- the steps with what you created is that you effectively go to your website, copy the instructions, which are essentially to clone a repo, uh, and you know run the command line com- command, uh, and uh, you're off to the races, as it were. Yeah, it gives you a pretty nice uh, local, locally hosted, uh, you know, landing page. And then from there, you can, you know, there's yet another set of very simple instructions. You basically go to a setup page that gives you a bunch of steps, of, of which only the first few are mandatory and the rest is optional. And so essentially, like, you, you install Doppler, which is a secrets management service with a f- very generous free plan. Then you... Um, and you basically learn how to launch the app through Doppler so that all the secrets are picked up. You learn how to use the command line to set secrets and to read them. Then, then you basically sign up for Superbase. You know, it's a free account. You get a free database. Um, you know, you hook that up and then you, uh, or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm reversing the order, you set up Propel Auth, which is the user authentication service. Um, and at that point, like basically, you've got a working you kind of a, you have a working app, and everything else becomes kind of extra. Okay, well, here's how you also add a customer support component. This is how you also add um, uh, product analytics with Post Hog. Uh, this is how you also add uh, billing. This is if you want to enable get, uh, sign in with GitHub. You go, you know, this is how you do it through Propelloff. If you want to, um, if you want to buy a domain, we send you to. Uh, Domainer, it's, our, it's my it's my friend's very cool domain mm-hmm. search uh, service, um, and you know then you in this case you use Vercel to deploy it with GitHub, right, with the GitHub integration. So so it's sort of like this. Our our goal is to start to to give you like literally three steps initially, so you can just see that something is working. Then ideally you would be drawn into trying you know uh, more more and more steps. And we're certainly seeing people doing it, you know, because we have pro- some product analytics. <laughs> Obviously, it's all like pretty meta. But yeah, there's been there's been essentially a non like, <clears throat> and this is a stark contrast to Fogbender, which has very little traffic or customers. Um, you know, B two B Saskit is someone's always on there like doing stuff, which is kind of cool. <laughs> and we just launched it too. Yeah, but the idea is that we show you like the sample app that has kind of like enough moving pieces that 
when you look at it, you're like, oh, I know how to add like my thing into this. And it's a, like a working product. And we give you with like all the documentation on how to set it up and some documentation like how to how to basically like use it later. And we had like people uh, people try to go through all of these instructions and they're like, if they know English, it's usually kind of like enough. <laughs> Which turned out to be a problem because like we asked like few people on Upwork to just like go through instructions and try to set it up. And like, you can just see how much like how... <laughs> How English basically correlated with how far they could could get, get through the instructions, but in the end, everyone did. So it, it's it's really kind of like uh, it's a difference between like I'm hiring like two teams, one in Brazil who's going to do my like uh, like app, one is Germany who's doing to do like my PHP backend, and I just hope that in six months they can talk to each other and can like make a login form, as compared to like something that you can get and like set it up yourself even though you even though you're like semi-technical right you just know how to read english and you can get it and you can get a feeling that you kind of like <laughs> you don't have like a weather app that's like there are like a thousand tutorials on youtube you get like a real app now, one of the benefits of being open source is assuming you get enough traction uh, i can pretty well assume or guess that somebody will translate everything to you know, the relevant languages uh, from English. The um, problem is um, that these other services we're using, you know, we, we're heavily relying on their UI. And none of them, I, I, I don't know, maybe some of them are, maybe Superbase is available in other languages, but most of them are not. <laughs> so right. so at the end of the day, like, there's still... Even, even, uh, even Astro? No, Astro, I'm sure has some, but Astro, uh, we we don't. You don't need anything from Astro. Yeah, just around one command to start it, and that's that's the extent, kind of like <laughs> of so you using since, Astro. Since we brought up Astro, I do have a, a question in in that specific context. Um, so first of all, I need to start by saying that I really like Astro. I think it's great. Uh, obviously, as a performance nerd, I'm really happy with, you know, the score, the core vital score that people uh, usually get when they use Astro. So, you know, don't, uh, nobody should uh, misconstrue my intention that I dislike Astro. But I do have to ask about the fit of Astro for your specific use case, because when the people from Astro describe the best or the, the optimal types of websites that are appropriate for Astro, they usually talk about content websites and less about applicative websites. And you, on the other hand, seems to be specifically targeting applicative scenarios. So why did you choose Astro over, I don't know, Solid, Quick, Svelte? Yeah, I like to talk next about, JS, about God this. Forbid. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's even from herself. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and uh, that that's going be, uh, a bit back to like our idea of like having kind of like a, eject instructions. We we when we started, we kind of like tried different ideas of like, can we just like build everything on top of Superbase? Can we build like everything on top of Vercel? Because like they all have some kind of auth, some kind of like uh, database, and all that stuff. Like, how much do we want to like depend? how much we want to like bet everything on like one provider. And 
in the end, we set up, set up like this setup where it's like everything is kind of replaceable. If you don't like Superbase database, just pick any other kind of like SQL-like uh, uh, thing and it will work. And uh, that kind of like approach of flexibility is also like the reason why we were using Astro because Astro is, in, in, in my mind, is, is really flexible. And I'm not the only one who thinks that like uh, solid start and 10 stack start are going to be built on top of Astro, even yeah. though they are like full blown kind of like application frameworks, right? Um, because Astro, in a way, it's it's just uh, it's kind of like full stack Vite. So Vite is really kind of like popular libraries for building uh, web frameworks, and Astro just does that. Plus, it adds you like a server integration part. So, if you're building a framework, like I, um, uh, Dan Abramov recently published an article of like, hey, let's build React server components from scratch. And uh, I, I, and uh, Jason Pence on Twitter did like a, uh, like a dramatic reading of that article and he created like all of that stuff uh, in like an Express.js. And I went to his thing and I like, quickly built it on top of Astro. So, it's like, you can build basically anything on top of Astro. <laughs> and um, there are like two answers to that. So like one answer is if you're using application-based uh, framework, what you will end up doing probably is creating a separate website for your landing. Or you're doing your landing in XJS, and I can clearly see that because it's like it has 30 scores on Lighthouse. It's it's, <laughs> it's like it's immediately <laughs> obvious when when people are like, oh, it's fine, we can do we can uh, use React on landing, and we we used it as well. And we I, also I do, I do have to interject on this point <laughs> sure. because it's an important. I, I know that you were say, saying this kind of in jest, but uh, I I do have to to. It's an important con- conception or misconception that some people have. So I have this talk that I'm giving at some conferences where I, where I do a performance comparison between the various uh, frameworks uh, yeah. and meta frameworks. And at the very end, what I say is that, you know, I look at the ratio of good, of what what's the probability, you might say, that you'll build uh-huh. a fast-performing website using any one of the frameworks. And what I say is that None of the frameworks have a good ratio of 0%, which means that you can build a fast website using any framework, even Angular. Likewise, no framework has uh, 100%, which means you can build a slow website using any framework, even Astro or Quick. So so yeah, it's it's more of a question of how much the, the framework um, works for you rather than maybe against you or, or increases the likelihood or probability that you build mm-hmm. a fast loading website. And, and just as a specific case in point, at Next Insurance, where I work, our landing page, our homepage, our marketing website, what you know, the landing pages, the homepage, the blog, etc., are all built on Next.js and all have, you know, fine scores. Uh, yeah, can you share me a URL and then we'll check? Yeah, especially Core Web Vitals. Uh, you uh-huh. know, Lighthouse is like, uh, it's okay. Nothing to write home about, but it's okay. But what's really important is what you get with Core Web Vitals, which reflects the 
experience of your actual users. Um, but but yeah, it's also because you know they've hired me. <laughs> and yeah, I exactly. I, I I'm not saying that like every Next.js website website is slow and every Astro website is fast. No, no, I, I'm no. just saying that like the baseline or like the average yeah. is going to yeah, be different, yeah. and oh, you th- can quickly sure. see that. Yeah, that's the other thing that I definitely do mention at my talk is that the differences in probabilities can be pretty substantial. Uh, so, so yeah, your choice of framework definitely does have a, a potentially significant impact on the likelihood that you will build a fast website. But again, going to your choice, uh, yeah. given that you're building on Astro, does that mean that by definition, the um, web application that I build is um, a multi-page application or an MPA? And if so, what are the consequences of that, if any? Yeah, so uh, so the, the short answer is no. <laughs> the, the, the long answer is that, like, uh, as I was saying, that usually ends up in, in people building kind of like two apps, so one for landing and one for application, and they will use the, like, I, I forgot how they called it, but like Squarespace or something like that for like a landing, just because it's like it has completely different kind of like performance or like even content management kind of like requirements. So it's going to be like just a different thing. So because Astro is much more flexible, you can build all kinds of app with it. And uh, answering the like SPA uh, question, so what we have on front of um, promiswithfriends.com, which is kind of like our like example app that is showing off all the kind of like features that we have. Um, on that app, we have kind of like distinct, uh, three distinct uh, applications that are built in like in different ways so that we can showcase like how, well, basically how Astro, what kind of answer Astro has for this question. So when you go to the landing page or you go to like setup page or eject page, those are like MPA pages. So when you click between them, you will see like the full loading spinner, all that stuff, full page navigation, all that stuff. But like they don't have any JavaScript. The only JavaScript that we have is like on setup and eject pages. It's like it's it's like a bit nicer like um, animation when you like collapse or expand uh, things. If you turn off your JavaScript, it will still continue working. That's that's kind of like this progressive enhancement kind of like story, right? So like here, if your application is really simple or you have like documentation website or something like that, you can use this approach. Uh, next, we have slash survey application. I don't think we have like links to it yet, but it's basically completely create React app with style application. If you turn off your JavaScript, it's a blank page. Mm. That's kind of like, uh, that's what we use at Fogbender, by the way. Like at, on Fogbender, like landing page and our blog is in Astro, but our slash admin uh, route is kind of like this uh, Vite or Create React App style application, but it's still through Astro. So, so, so uh-huh. roughly stating it, your the parts of your website that are SEO'd or uh-huh. are indexed by search engines. Those are yes. mostly built to be, you know, able to function with or without JavaScript. They work mm-hmm. mostly as multi-page applications. But the, that mm-hmm. part of your site that's really an app uh, mm-hmm. and probably requires authentication or stuff, something like that, so it's yeah. it's not really relevant for search engines anyway. That part is 
built with JavaScript as a single page it, it, application. Yeah, I, I, and I want to say that it's like a mix as well. So our uh, so I, I mentioned like our landing, our survey, and we'll also have slash app. App is uh, w- what I call remiss architecture. So it's uh, modeled kind of like a, a, a after Remix um, framework, and it's using Remix Router, which is like React Router, right? And uh, it's a full-blown kind of like SSR framework. So you will get uh, initial rendering on the server. You can do like, hey, if user doesn't have a cookie, redirect him to login page. Like all of that stuff is, is built in. And um, that application itself has two parts. It has slash prompts, which is our like public, uh, Andrea, you probably should mute yourself. <laughs> There's some nice. Uh, there, there is like slash prompts, which is uh, public and it's indexable by Google. It has like OG tags and all that stuff. And again, it's it's done through this, like what I call remiss uh, uh, thing. Uh, and you have like a completely kind of like defined notification slash app uh, and they use the same uh, like Remix router. So they uh, like when you go between pages, it will be single page application, client side navigation, kind of like the navigation without full page reload. So that's that's the kind of like the answer of like yes, I know that Astro is only focusing on the content thing, but the tool itself is versatile. You can build any application on top of it. Yeah, and I and I also and I also have to say that I kind of spoken about this with uh, I think with Fred as well from Astro, and certainly with uh, Ryan Forniato from Solid, and also with Mishko from Quick and others. Uh, I don't like these distinctions at, so much at the end of the day. From my perspective, when people reach out for a framework slash meta framework these days, you know they might you you might make it more appropriate for certain things. But at the end of the day, you pretty much need to support everything uh, because people, you know, we like to say use the best tool for the job, but at the end of the day, there are like just so many tools people can be really, uh, um, you know, uh, proficient with. So, so people tend to reuse the same tools for everything at the end of the day, from my experience at least. I think there's a big business case to be made too for using something like Astro, which again, I actually I don't I don't care, right? As long as it works, that's that's my approach. But I know that that's a good approach. I know that I know that the like the the, the management and administration of two different websites is provides a huge overhead, right? And we've done this at our previous company. We had like a, a, uh, our blog, which was the, all of our um, lead gen was through organic Google research, right? So it was a really important thing, but it was hosted on Ghost, like some server somewhere that we didn't even really know who has access. Like it was really difficult to manage. Certainly, certainly was not part of our code base, all those blog posts. I knew it was awful. It was truly awful. And then before we um, before we figured it out with Fogbender, where we like, we now have a mono repo that has our blog, has our app. It's all in one, in one uh, repo. It's actually really easy to manage um we we can kind of you know we have a single hash that kind of definitively determines what um what version this is it was also difficult just just from like 
uh, access perspective, management perspective. So I think, actually think as a small company with very few people, uh, it's also much easier to host it all in one repo, in one place, uh, where you have like one, uh, you know, one set of merge requests, you have the same set of users inside your, your, your you know, uh, version control, GitLab, GitHub, whatever. Uh, it's just been easy for us, I think, to, to manage a relatively complex thing, you know, uh, and again, like we have something to compare it to. So that's my approach is like, is, is this better? It's better. Great. Let's also, you don't want to silo your developers, especially when it's a small company. I mean, can you really afford to have like two developers that you can't, you know, that aren't interchangeable because each one of them specializes like in a particular set of technologies and they only know how to work on their part of the overall thing. You know, that's that's really problematic from my experience. Yeah, I think a lot of that, though, depends on um, how closely interchangeable some of this stuff is. And I have to say, some of these, uh, what 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 did you call it, Dan? A meta meta framework. Yeah, a lot of these that that go together. I, I we need a better term for it, but a lot of these, what you wind up getting out of it, and I don't know if this is something that you all are doing, is you get something that looks a whole lot more like, hey, we've got integration points for all this stuff. So at the end of the day, if you're doing the Astro stuff or the uh, React stuff, right? Because you include them both or whether you're doing, you know, something in this area or that area, you kind of pull things together so that for the most part, the Astro, if you squint at it, looks a whole lot like the React. And you make it easy so that, yeah, you may have people who are working in both arenas, but the crossover or the overhead for knowing this stuff is a lot simpler. Yeah, I wanted to go into a bit like this, the same kind of like question about uh, the backend, because w- one other um, uh, kind of like decision that we made, right, is to use uh, JavaScript on the backend, which is not controversial like these days, but it used to be, it used to be a much bigger, bigger deal. <laughs> well, I'll say it, not- JavaScript backend, ew. Well, it's not 100% true, though, is it? I mean, Astro isn't exactly a JavaScript backend, is is it? I mean... So so we can can go a bit into that. So the the idea is that uh, at at Fogbinder, for example, we don't have any uh, JavaScript on the backend. We use Elixir. And this is, again, kind of like a marketing thing. Like, we could build B2B SaaS kit with Elixir backend, but the like amount of people who are going to be like excited about it and will try it, it goes down dramatically, right? So this is are you using this, Phoenix? Can uh, I no. just ask? <laughs> no. <laughs> we we're what are you too using? old. We we are like we we're start we we started with Erlang like ten like more than ten years ago. So like we uh-huh. only switched to Elixir because of like the kind of <laughs> anyway. There's so, a lot to like there anyway. Yeah, I know, I know, and and exactly like with with. Something like that built like on only uh, like Elixir, uh, like Phoenix Live View, would that be cool? Yes, but like it, it's uh, like it's a bit harder to find a hosting for it. It's harder to find people mm-hmm. for it and all that stuff. So like we have somewhere like in our reject instructions, like yeah, probably like the backend. Like if you're building like a real app, probably like the backend is the first thing to go. You will 
create like a real backend. I don't like I don't the know. term real. I don't like the term real backend. I have to tell you. Uh, well, I'm, I'm I, joking. And, you know, by the way, <laughs> I know a lot of people who have built r- really robust things on top of Superbase or Firebase. So, yeah, I think eventually it it, it runs into cost at the end of the day. So, yes, uh, that's you. Really, really yeah. yeah, it depends on on scale, um, and also when it comes to concurrency. You know, if, if your app really needs concurrency, um, like a messaging apps tend to, then mm-hmm. then you may win by by using uh, runtime that's kind of inherently designed for it. But you know, if it's uh, yeah. it's like prompt with friends, does that need to run in, uh, on an Erlang VM? No, it does not. Like, there's really no reason to do it. So yeah, and I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> no, so for your backend, basically, what you're saying is that you again, given that it's based on Astro and React. You're kind of using Astro for the quote unquote more static stuff and React on the back end and front end for the quote unquote more dynamic stuff. Yeah, so it's a it's a, like a really fun uh, question to answer uh, because there is no <laughs> it's not like React or Svelte, right? It's like it's not I'm using like one or the other. It uh, it's it's more like you can use React inside of Next.js or inside of Beat or inside of Astro. It's it's uh, just uh, kind of like a way for you to to run it or like to build it or whatever. So like it's it's uh, that's actually like why I'm personally like a fan of Astro because they didn't came up with the idea of like we're going to compete with everyone in Veeam. They came out with like we're going to Collaborate with everyone in Veeam, right? So that's that's like a big that's a big difference uh, compared to some some other solutions, because you uh, we actually have that like in in Docs somewhere. Like, could you use uh, something else instead of React? Sure, like just go ahead and like rewrite it, and, and it will it will work the same. Um, we just we're more comfortable with with React. Uh, I think. Uh, like the benefits, <laughs> how do you say it? Like the benefits of something like Solid, which is like pretty close to what React does, right? Um, uh, benefits of Solid are on one hand, when you have like a static website that you just need needs one button. It's like, why am I sending, uh, I forgot, like 77 kilobytes gzip, I think like the minimum amount of like when you, what you can send in Next.js. Why am I sending this amount of JavaScript for one button? It's like, yeah, just use like React or Svelte or, or, Svelte or Solid or something like that for this kind of like uh, thing. Or if you have really interactive application that has to show like 50,000 DOM nodes at the same time and everything has to be updated, it's like, yeah, that's where you like need to something more performant than React. But like for the most part, you're fine with React. Oh, uh, yeah, that, that's I think that's React's winning slogan, more or less. That for the <laughs> most part, you're fine with React. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they should print it on t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Also, it has you know what has it it has most going for it is that if you look at uh, JavaScript frameworks and JavaScript framework meta framework backends, then React is as big as all the rest combined. Uh, actually, even more so. Uh, mm-hmm. So so yeah, and given that you're building on tools that you know should be popular tools. 
I definitely understand why you would pick React rather than something more, I don't know, opinionated, controversial, call it what you will, some other framework. You might make some developers really happy, but you'll probably shrink your addressable market. Yeah. And we use Solid, by the way, like on the, um, on the setup eject pages. We don't use like the whole Solid, but we use some libraries from it. It's like, yes, it's, it's like exactly the perfect kind of like uh, trade-offs kind of like for that page. So going back to your like idea of like, so how does dynamic parts work? Uh, so one of the things that we do is when you go to promptsystrands slash prompt and slash like some public uh, prompt ID, this page is going to be generated on the server using both Sol, uh, both Astro and React to generate like all the HTML that this page has, right? With all the like prompt information, user information, all that stuff. And um, so like, is, is that page dynamic or static? It's like, it, it's generated uh, like, S, uh, like SSR. Uh, so this is like another kind of like, uh, Split, I guess, like another uh, <laughs> another fork where you can go. And in Astro, it's pretty easy. For each route, you can set uh, const pre-render equals like true or false, and that page will be generated, uh, will be stored as static HTML on your hosting, and it will be like deployed uh, through CDN like quickly. Or you can make it pre-render true, oh sorry, false. And it will make sure that like there is like a server rendering happening for this exact user with this exact cookie and all that stuff. And it will return uh, maybe like a list of my prompts for this user from the server. So we can we have all of those hooks, all of those kind of like um, levers that you can pull again. And, and uh, if you go to the GitHub repo for the project at the bottom. Uh, there are two sections. One uh, is called, I think the section is called something about code. I don't know, understanding the code mm -hmm. or digging into the code. So the first section, and there's an expand and it's like a, a couple pages of, of like pretty dense material. First one is on database migrations, but the more interesting one is the second one on um, working with Astro and working with these like different types of rendering. And like literally while editing, Yaroslav wrote the first version of it. While editing that text, you know, I learned so much <laughs> personally. <laughs> so it's a good, it's a good read, I think, for someone um, who isn't, uh, you know, just like steeped in this world. Like I'm not, you know, it's it's really uh, incredibly uh, informative. So I encourage anyone interested in like learning about client client side rendering or server-side rendering or ser uh, static site generation, just kind of like learn about the concepts because it's really not that obvious and, yeah, and it's yeah. hard to find good examples. But also, like, here's a, here's a framework, you know, Astro, that actually kind of gives you ways to do all, all three in a pretty straightforward uh, manner and here are some examples. So it's a, it's, I think it's a pretty good... Like, I, I think we need to extract that stuff out into, into a separate blog post because it's... Hmm really good um some good good content and I, again like if you're not this is not your world it's a good place like i would say it's a pretty good place to um learn about it now you mentioned uh, uh that that portion also talks about the database so i guess that's a good segue into asking you what you're using as what's your database of choice really 
Yeah, so we uh because our background of like not using <laughs> JavaScript on the backend, it was like a fun uh a detour in the like okay, like how how do people live in like live in that, right? Because uh if you're using uh your own server, which is like what Epic um Stack, for example, does they use uh, Fly.io, which gives you like real server, so you can do like anything <laughs> you want. You can host like a, any any database there. It's like a one world, right? Uh, if you use serverless, that's kind of like different limitations. You have problem of like cold stars and all that stuff. So, so you can you can't use like everything. You have to a bit like narrow down. And if you deploy to Edge, then it's like again, it's like just like a few basically players in that um, in that kind of like area. So we picked kind of like <laughs> we picked what felt like the most uh, extensible uh, way of doing it. Again, kind of like playing more into that like flexibility and um, I'm <laughs> sorry. Uh, so so the idea is that we we picked on uh, Drizzle ORM. Which is uh, one of our like risky bets because it's like it doesn't have like version one point yet, um, but it felt like uh, a, a nice middle ground because it gives you all the type safety that you kind of like want from your ORM. So if you create like a user table and it has a name, that name is a string. You don't have to kind of like have as string. 1,000 times in your code, code base, it's like it's already a string. And it has um, some kind of like migration uh, story that allows you to have uh, like one of the steps that you're doing when you're setting this, this up locally, you do, uh, you run migrations and it will set up everything for you and like everything is going to work. We don't have you to click through like all the databases if you selected something like Firebase, right? Because <laughs> It's it's more like UI oriented or whatever uh, backend, and uh, Drizzle ORM allows you to connect to anything. Uh, we decided that Superbase is kind of like a good middle ground because it's not uh, how do I say it. <laughs> It has like a good kind of like serverless story. So you don't have to kind of like worry too much about how you're going to access it from like Vercel and all that stuff. Uh, and it's not limiting you kind of like in any way. So you're, you're not losing anything in, in a sense. So like they allow you to do all of the kind of like Postgres extensions or whatever they call it. So like if you want to do um, machine learning or whatever, like they, they have all of that stuff. But again, because we're just connecting as like database URL, you can change it for something else and it, it, it will work. So uh, also picked Superbase because we met their co-founders yes. uh, and because, you know, it's a startup that raised some stupid money, like, I don't know, $130 million. Right. But they're still a startup. And we thought that they would be willing potentially to promote this, the toolkit. So mm -hmm. one of our one of our kind of secondary objectives with these uh, partners, quote unquote, you know, that we were choosing was, we were like, what, what, what's the probability that these folks will actually um, talk about this toolkit to their users, because they all have the same problem. They all need for day zero, you know, recently fired Google engineer to use their stuff 
so that once it becomes a public company, they're like shoveling in the, you know, the, the cash. So, yeah, so like that, that was certainly a, a reason why we, we chose Superbase is because we thought, hey, it's a startup, it's a YC startup, like we, we can talk to them. They're not, they're not, it's not Apple, it's not Google, you know, they're human. And yeah, so far it's, it's, it's been okay. They haven't done too much to promote it, but they did, they added a few likes here and there. <laughs> right. I, I think there, there's like a, a, about Superbase, there, there's a lot of kind of like uh, preconceived notions. And I just want to kind of clear this a bit because Superbase gives you everything. They have their own authentication. They have their own like file upload, like everything, right? Mm-hmm. And we only use database, basically like database URL. That's the only thing that we ever touch in Superbase. So uh, we don't use like their SDK. We don't use their like CLI. We 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 use it pretty lim- in pretty limited way. It doesn't mean that like someone who is using our kit like will not use more because it's like as again. We, we try to make it as flexible as possible. But for our for our use case, even for like, can I get a Postgres in the cloud? I think Superbase is kind of like the, the best the best solution for that, uh, at least how we <laughs> how we look at it. Yeah. I think the biggest uh, backend component, the most interesting is TRPC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's, that's really the, I think the crux of... Yeah, and I think like, People who think of that we're building a website in Astro, they probably not think about GRPC. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting combination, I have to say. It's not one that immediately comes to mind. You know, we, we use Elixir and Fogbender, and it's not typed, right? And, and uh, we're really, uh, it's a trade-off. Like, okay, we use Elixir, it's not typed. And basically, we're, um, there's a lot of hand-waving with, with uh, what the client expects to receive from the server at the end of the day. And it's, I, we've not, I've never felt great about it, but like you know, it's just a, it's just um, something we've accepted for now as, as kind of a little piece of evil that we're dealing with. But it's you know, ideally, right? You would just have it typed on both ends, uh, and so that's what TRPC gives you. And it's it's it actually as like as a as a tutorial, right? Like as something uh, that you're trying to convey to potentially a novice user. Not having to hand wave in that particular uh, area is unbelievably fantastic, right? Like, no, this is a manager, and it's an manager here. No questions. <laughs> so, 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 a few thoughts about a few thoughts about that, and there are like my thoughts or opinions, and not necessarily fully coalesce. So you can take them or leave them. First of all, it feels to me like TRPC is, or pretty soon will be, a technology looking for a home. You know, in a sense, because most of the uh, leading meta frameworks are going to have some sort of RPC solution baked in. So they'll not really be needing a third party one, maybe except for Astro, by the way. So that, that's an interesting combination what you're having or you're using because it, yeah, it's, it's, it, if if you're going to be using Next.js going forward, you're probably going to be using React server components. If you're going to be using uh, 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 Quick or so, or Solid, you're going to be using Server Dollar. Uh, it's it'll be interesting to see who will be using TRPC. Uh, just on that note, uh, 
I think like yesterday or two days ago, uh, React already published like the new version with like full React component support. So I'm I'm not as uh, I'm not as afraid for those technologies to to disappear. It's actually like yeah, speaking of React components, I have I, I have uh, like a lot of uh, thoughts about it, and the easiest way to kind of like think about it is like did re uh, did Redux completely uh, disappear once we had used uh, reducer hook? It's like not really. It, it it disappeared in the places where it didn't make sense. So, but oh, that's yeah. kind of like the extent of it. Technologies don't disappear. Uh, yeah. especially on the web. But I think, you know, you can argue merits and whether something is good, quote-unquote, or bad, quote-unquote. But, you know, in the long run, if you're going to be using React, then uh, my guess is two or three years from now, when you start a new project, you're going to be using React Server Components. Because if you're not, yes. then, if you're not, then why are you using React? Yes, uh, and I think I think that's true. But it, that that's in the same case as like, are you going to use hooks? Yes, you will. But does that mean that your project is one hundred percent is not going to have Redux? It doesn't necessarily. Yeah, but I don't see the use. Look, I I can see the use again. Maybe it's me, but I can see the I can kind of see the use case for React query even with. React server components. I mm-hmm. don't really see the use case for TRPC with React server components. Um, yeah. So, so I, I, I completely kind of like uh, share your like concern about this. And when you were picking up TRPC, the same kind of like thought occurred to me as well. Uh, but I think there are like few. <laughs> Like few ways to, to look at it. So one is there's it's probably going to be there. It's it's going to be just like compatible with React Server components. And the other is as as you mentioned, because Astro doesn't have uh, React Server components, they have their own server components. It, it's like it's it's probably even it's probably going to change even slower in Astro compared to. Like oh yeah, Astro. Astro has islands, and that's something completely different. It's not so much about the data story; it's more about you know where which where you render stuff and where when it's hydrated. I, so I, we use Astro for data story. That's that's the, kind of like the point. Yeah. Um, cool. It's interesting. So going back to TRPC, I just I, because this question is like such a, such a great question. Uh, I think the the way to think TRPC is not like React replacement. It's like Express replacement. Oh, yeah. It, when sure. you have Express, you have all kinds of like middleware. And this is like, this is this is all of my routes that are here. This is like all of the context that this request needs and all of that stuff. This is what TRPC is solving. It allows you to structure your backend code in a way that is going to be safe. And then you can call that backend code from uh, just like a plain API uh, that you're like giving to some third party. You like the same the same function, right? Uh, you can call it from your front end with uh, like TRPC or React Ready kind of like library, right? Or you can call it from your backend that will check all the same cookies that will check like so like the point how we, how we use TRPC in Astro is that 
we have the same like procedure called in like from three different places, three different ways to show here's how you do it completely client sites. Here's how you do it uh, like a during SSR. Here's how you do it uh, from uh, remix loaders so that when you like click on the uh, page, it will not show up until the data from loader is there. And we do all of that through gRPC. So that that's kind of like my bet. Yeah, we, without without going too deep, because it's probably a topic for an entire episode, <laughs> and we only have a few minutes left. Uh, I I think it's really interesting to see the front the web world kind of transitioning in a way from the approach of restful asynchronous APIs towards type-safe synchronous APIs in the form of remote procedure calls or RPCs. And it's interesting. And there are several reasons why I think this is happening now. But I think, again, it's beyond the scope of this conversation. In fact, I'm going to take this opportunity to move us right into the next section of the show. This has been really interesting, though. And it's I think a lot of times you talk about the little pieces, and so it's kind of interesting to talk about how the pieces kind of go together and how to think about pulling the, an app together. You know, whether you use uh, B2B SaaS kit or something else or kind of piece it together yourself. So this is this has been really, really cool just to, just to be part of. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and do our picks. Um, Dan, you want to start us off with picks? Yes. Uh, so really, I wanted to, to pick two TV shows. So it's a funny thing in, in, in the context of updating our, our home network infrastructure. We also, you know, switched our, some of our content providers and I got Disney plus for a month or two, uh, just as a tryout period. And I took the chance to, uh, watch a couple of shows, uh, that I hadn't had the chance to watch before specifically, um, Loki and uh, WandaVision, mm-hmm. and uh, they were fun. Not much more than that. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, I, I liked Loki. I enjoyed WandaVision more. Uh, I found, uh, I don't know. Lo- lo- again, Loki was fun, but uh, the the end was a bit disappointing for me. And it and you know, at a certain point, it got a bit messy. Uh, and slightly repetitive, uh, and and one division I enjoyed more. Maybe the whole concept of of building a TV show around TV shows from different eras really resonated with me. Uh, so I liked that part, uh, and it also kind of segued then into uh, that movie. What's it called? The Doctor, the Doctor Strange one, uh, mm-hmm. which which was kind of uh, which is kind of fun. Um, I do think that the Marvel Universe or, or whatever they call it is full of contradictions these days. Uh, it just doesn't make sense all the concepts together, but you know, here's what it is. Uh, so, so those two shows are, are my picks, you know, for what they are. Uh, I'm probably not going to leverage uh, Disney Plus to watch the uh, various uh, Star Wars stuff. It's just too much. <laughs> and uh, I just can't see myself trying to get into it all over again. Um, 
but but and and to be honest, we're probably going to let it lapse. You know, once the, that month or two are over, <laughs> I don't see us renewing. Um, and uh, other than that, uh, the ongoing war in Ukraine support the Ukrainian people, and the ongoing fight for democracy in Israel support the Israelis fighting to keep the country a democracy. And those are my picks for today. So, Dan, is it fair to say that your opinion of the Loki show is that it's Loki disappointing? No, I don't think it's disappointing. I think that it's uh, Loki pleasant. Anyway, just thought I'd ask. Uh, I think there's a pun in there that I didn't quite pick up on. Loki, L O W K E Y. Oh, okay. Yeah, I also just, uh, you know, could the guy in the movie just, he killed like dozens of people in New York. He's responsible for so many deaths. And then all of a sudden, he's a good guy. I mean, eh. Sounds like a John Wick movie. Yeah. With John Wick, I can't help myself but think, like, why don't they just throw a grenade at him? (laughs) (laughs) He has one of those never-ending gun clips, too, the magazines. Ooh, I want one of those. All right, Steve, what are your picks? So, I found a pick that in my opinion, is rather brilliant because it ties together Dan's past with a topic from today that came up early. And uh, we were talking about meta meta frameworks, how you can just spin something up and it you know, creates something for you. So uh, TechCrunch, found this on Hacker News, has an article about Wix's new tool can create entire websites from prompts. Uh, and apparently uses AI, and you can go in and say, uh, yeah. it will let Wix users describe their intent and generate a website complete with the homepage, inner pages, and text and images, as well as business-specific sections for events, bookings, and more. So, yeah, it's not surprising, and it's not also totally new either. Maybe they added a lot of new AI-based features to it, but they had tools in that, you know, that use that approach for a couple of years now. And they're also not the only ones doing it, but it kind of makes sense. Oh, I'm sure they're not. It, it kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, machine learning kind of, you know, you dis- it's, it's what it's all about. I mean, it, you can't describe a picture and it draws a picture, so, or paints a picture, whatever, generates a picture. But so why not the same with, with a website? Uh, and, and companies like Wix actually have an, an, an advantage because they, they own. Or, or manage a, a huge number of websites, so and they know which ones work better and which ones don't. So if you want a web, so they they like have the vocabulary, they have the data that they can use to build the models from. That's what I'm trying to say. Gotcha. Anyway, I just thought it was rather brilliant how it sort of tied multiple things together in one post. So mm. I'll pat myself on the back for that. <clears throat> Okay, so for the uh, dad jokes of the week, uh, Yaroslav and Andre, I'll start, I'm sorry to subject you to this, but it's my big thing. Um, <laughs> so a turtle was, was crossing the road, and then he was assaulted by two snails. And when the police asked him what happened, the shaken turtle just said, I don't know, man, it happened all so fast. Uh, so question of the day, or uh, Jack Handy type of thought, for those who are familiar with Saturday Night Live, if a vegetarian eats vegetables, what do humanitarians eat? That is a solid yeah. question. Yeah, it's a very solid question. Tasty one. And then finally, uh, 
my doctor told me that I was suffering from paranoia. Well, he didn't actually, but I could tell that's what he was thinking. Boy, I didn't even get a smile out of Dan. Either that or his screen's frozen. Anyway, those are my picks. All right, AJ, what are your picks? So I just got one today. I just discovered this last night. There's a science woman whose name is Sabine, and she has a science news reel on YouTube where it's very uh, concise and easy to digest. Uh, the sub the subtitle of the channel is Science Without All the Gobbledygook. And it turns out that she has a book called Lost in Math. And the subtitle is basically something uh, about how physics is going in the wrong direction. And I and she she has a, a video about is math real? And the she makes a different point than I would make, but she redefines what real means in order, or at least gives a definition of what real means before starting to, to say it. But she says that, that math is real. The math, math that describes the observable world in ways that enables us to make predictions is real. And math that does not fit that criteria cannot be considered real. And one point that she made that I thought was really, really interesting distinction is that among the real numbers, there's an infinite number of decimal places that you can have. But not all of those numbers are actually real numbers because after a certain number of decimal places, the number cannot be used to describe an observation or make a prediction of something in the observable real world. So therefore, the number is not real. And I thought that was such a good point. And she talks about how all of this stuff with uh, supersymmetry and the grand unified theory and all of it is essentially religion, not science, and that we need to get back to science. And I just... I love what she's saying about that. And I'm looking forward to looking both, uh, listening more to her, her science newscasts as well as, uh, learning more about her book. And I, man, I just thought she hit it spot on. We need, we need people to be recognizing to separate their religious views from their scientific views and, and honestly recognize, okay, this is a religious belief system. Versus this is an observable fact or or detail of the universe or the world. Yeah, that's that's really true. My my dad, who's a practical physicist, would get upset with some, you know, theoretical physics theories that he would claim them as being more metaphysical than physical. Yeah, it has to be falsifiable in order for it to be considered science. Cool. All right, I'm going to jump in here. And then we'll have our guests throw out some picks. So I'm going to be fast. Uh, one thing, I keep getting people asking me about podcasting. I've actually been coaching some people about podcasting. So if you want me to walk you through the whole process of podcasting front to back, soup to nuts, um, I'm going to be doing a three-month um, podcast boot camp. It's going to be $2,500. Starts August 1st. 
Um, if you're after that, you can still sign up. You just might have to do a little bit of catch up. And most of the stuff at the beginning is set up anyway. And so you can kind of hit that as you uh, come upon the stuff. But some of the stuff like getting your uh, artwork rolling and working with your uh, artwork artists and stuff like that, the stuff that you have to start early so that you can have it when you're ready to release. Um, so if you're a little behind on that, then you can just do all the other stuff. And then when you get it, then you can start releasing. So it's it's not critical. It's just so that you can be releasing on the same time frame as everybody else. Um, so yeah, uh, go to topendevs.com slash podcasting. Um, it's probably actually going to take you to podcastplaybook.com, which is where I'm putting all the podcast stuff. But I'm going to have a section specifically for podcasts about programming and technology uh, as part of that. Because I have some other friends who want to start podcasts that are, are not programmers and are not talking to programmers. So anyway, um, so if you're interested in any of that, let me know. Um, or just go to topendevs.com slash podcasting, like I said. And then um, the other picks I have. So uh, a few weeks ago, we went to Disneyland. It seems like there was something like every dang week. And so we were at Disneyland and then uh, 4th of July. And then I was on Trek, which is basically a reenactment of handcart pioneers that came to Utah. Um, and it's something the church puts on. And so I was there with a bunch of teenage kids. Uh, four of my kids actually went, but none of them were in my uh, quote unquote family on that. But, and it was 95 degrees, so it was freaking hot. Um, but yeah, so Disneyland was a ton of fun. I don't know if I made any picks related to that. So I'm just going to throw those out there real quick. Um, and I know I didn't do a board game pick, but I didn't prep one and I'm a little behind on that. So um, the first one is, is the Genie Pass. So Genie Plus Pass. If you go to Disneyland, I highly recommend you get it. Yeah, we had seven people in our group. So it was a little bit expensive. But what it is, is before when you'd go, you could get fast passes for free. You can't get fast passes for free anymore. That's what Genie Plus is. The nice thing is, is you run it through your app. So you just use the app, you reserve your place in line, and then you show up and you scan the barcode on your phone. Or what I did is I'd scan seven barcodes on my phone, and then we'd all go through the fast line, right? Um, and that was awesome. And, and it was a ton of fun. Um, but the other thing is, is just for that, it's a little pricey. But the nice thing is, is it also includes the photo pass. And so the photo pass is, is you can stop any of the photographers that Disney has around the park and have them take your picture and you get all those high quality pictures for free. And it also includes access to, they, they have an AI generated, it turns you into a villain or a hero or a character from the Disney movies, um, right? So it just overlays on your face on your on the phone. And you get that for free too, and you can save all those pictures. And so we had a ton of fun with that. So I'm going to pick that. Um, one other thing that we did, and this was while we were in line, and it kind of depends on your group and you know what people are into. But my kids are way into Harry Potter. We were at Disneyland. Uh, they like Star Wars. So all that stuff. There's an app called Heads Up. And you just hold your phone above your head, facing out toward whoever's playing with you. And then they give you clues without saying any part of the word to get you to guess the 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 thing, right? And so we're in the line for like Rise of the Resistance for an hour and a half. And so we were playing heads up the whole time, right? As long as I had battery and as long as I, I actually carried one of those um, battery packs in my pocket, right? So I'd plug it in when it was going dead. Um, but that, that worked out great. My kids just loved uh, playing that game. 
Now, the Harry Potter pack and the Star Wars pack and the Disney Parks pack and some of the other packs, I think I got for like 10 bucks. They just, so the, the app is free and it comes with like five packs. And then as you pick it, as, as you get in, and it says, do you want these other 100 packs or 50 packs for 10 bucks? And that's where all those were. So um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, some of the other packs are like TV shows like Friends or Seinfeld or something. And so if you're with a group that, where you're all big fans of that those franchises, you can play those. So I guess that's sort of a game, but it's more of a party game than a board game. But that that made it a ton of fun. And so we did that. Um, and then the last pick I have just basically is down to um, the way things worked out. So we flew on Delta. And whenever Delta overbooks a flight, they'll actually start offering travel credit for you to postpone your flight. And while we were getting ready to fly out, they called me up on my phone and said, we had to switch airplanes and the airplane we switched to is smaller. So we need a lot of people to switch. So they gave us $300 per person to switch, um, which totaled to like $2,100 because you know, my wife and I and our five kids. And so that worked out pretty nice. So my wife and I are now trying to figure out if we can make it to Italy on that. Um, Good luck so anyway, it's, it's pretty fun. It should cover most of the airfare. So the rest of it's just the, the travel while we're there. But, um, I have the added benefit of speaking Italian fluently, so we'll we'll figure that out, and I can I can arrange some of that myself. But at the end of the day, yeah, it was it was a terrific trip, and I highly highly recommend it um, if you're going to go to get that Genie Plus pass going to Disney, and then yeah, be flexible. Um, but yeah, those are my picks. So uh, Chuck, on, you know, one yeah. one game I figured out we figured out when I was at Disney World with my kids, and they're you know a little older. Uh-huh. When you're waiting in line there like that and you got an hour to burn, is we started airdrop bombing people around us, which is a ton of fun. <laughs> you, uh, so my son has these just tons of goofball pictures of dogs with weird looks on their faces and just all kinds of goofball stuff. And so we would start airdrop bombing people around us. And those are people that have iPhones with airdrop open, anybody outside their contacts. Uh-huh. And pretty soon, you see, start to see people looking around. Who's doing this? Who's doing this? Who's photobombing me? And my son was so good that he. Uh, there was one group of people right next to us in line. And he would take pictures of them and airdrop bomb them with their own pictures. And they still couldn't figure out who was doing it. Uh, so, <laughs> it was so funny. And I got hooked on it. And they tell me to knock it off. But anytime I'm on, a, I'm on a plane or in an airport, I start doing that with goofball pictures. And you see some people accept them and some people reject them. It's, it's just, it's a lot of fun. That sounds fun. So you just changed the name of your phone to... Yeah, well, the name I have on my phone isn't, isn't like, you know, Steve's iPhone or something like that. Right. It's different, so you'd have to really know who it is, you know, to know that it's me. But when it's people walking by, you know, in an airport at a gate or people that are stuck on a plane, you know, it's funny. You know, I don't go to the extremes. There was a news story. I remember seeing this in the news probably three, four months ago about somebody on a plane that was uh, doing that with like nude pics or something. And the pilot had to get on oh. and say, well, whoever's doing that, please stop. So uh, I won't get in trouble. Yeah, that's that. over the line. But. Yeah, that's a bit too far, but uh, I keep it within the rules and, and it's good times. That sounds like fun. All right, Yaroslav, what are your picks? Uh, I have I have a lot. So, <laughs> uh, so, so first thing is that... Um, I, I recommend this book to anyone who is uh, starting to learn programming. And I read it when I was programming for like uh, 10 or 15 years. So it's, it's still it's still a good book. 
Uh, it's called Programmer's Brain. It's a bit... Um, the main kind of like takeaway for me is that a lot of programmers think of programming as just like swimming. You just were thrown in, thrown in a pool and you figure out how to do it. And this is more about like, how would you learn a language, right? So like, here are like the actual kind of like science, how to learn programming. So I really enjoy that. It's called Programmer's Brain. And um, so uh, speaking of uh, Sabine, I think her, her name mm -hmm. is like a physics uh, YouTube. I have another uh, physics YouTube recommendation. So the best way to search for it, if you just find, uh, if you just search AI doesn't exist, but it will ruin everything anyway. So that's the last, uh, that's the last video she did. Uh, she's an astrophysicist, uh, but she covers like different um, kind of like topics. And the last one was about the AI, which is, which is very cool. The thumbnail has her dressed as a clown. So you will figure it out right away. Um, so uh, one other pick is that uh, 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 August 3rd, there is a remix meetup in Utah. So if you're in Utah, Charles, for example, mm -hmm. uh, you can join. So is AJ. <laughs> it's in, uh, it's in uh, Lehigh. And uh, you can find it on meetup.com. It's called, uh, like a, uh, I think it's called Remix, remix Utah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if everything goes right, I, I should be presenting there and talking about reactor components. So that, that could be fun. And uh, yeah. Speaking about like meta meta frameworks, the term that I want to coin is hyper framework. So <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. So speaking of hyper, uh, I want to plug HTMX, uh, which is a which is a really kind of like a thing that's kind of like doing rounds um, uh, on Twitter and like everywhere. Uh, it's a very <laughs> very old take on very old problem. Uh, it, it it used to be called Intercooler JS. It was like a jQuery plugin to mm -hmm. uh, which it, which is kind of like a uh, it's half of the like Live View or Live Wire like that things, and it's uh, competing kind of like with um, uh, Turbo Links and all that stuff. But I think that the main idea is not like in the technology it's more like just the way that you can think about the applications to build so it's like it's compatible with like any framework you can write like astro uh react like wh whatever you want uh, but it's more about like how would you build a web uh, web application that is like driven by the backend which is like live view is uh i forgot who mentioned it before but like live view is a, is a cool one but requires you to buy in into elixir and htmx is, is kind of like a lighter version so of we actually had carson gross who's the creator of htmx as a guest on javascript yeah. jabber quite a while ago i think it was episode 5.3 or something like that uh so yeah uh it's definitely a really cool project i really like that approach being really lightweight and html centric rather than javascript centric yeah, and the, what happened is that, like, I think, like yesterday, um, uh, the guy who is doing uh, Million JS, Aiden, uh, he uh, he posted on Twitter something like, "Hey, I created like a new integration with like React, and it has like refs instead of like IDs." So it's like I, I'm just curious to see like people trying it, and uh, someone else on Twitter said like, 
hmm, I wonder if we can build like this in our framework and all that stuff. So I, I wonder if that that's going to be like a thing that everyone kind of like wants to try <laughs> the same way how it happened with like Alpine JS back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. We also did an episode on million JS. So very recently. Yeah. 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 Yes. So. Okay. Andre. <laughs> um, I met Car- uh, Carson Gross in San Francisco last week. He did a talk and I gave him a PDF of the Joe Armstrong's Erlang book called The Software for a Concurrent World. He gave me, Joe Armstrong gave me permission to, to spread that PDF. Uh, so uh, even though it's probably illegal, I have permission to do it uh, from Joe. Picks. Uh, all right, so a couple of apps. We, uh, a couple months ago, drove to New York and back in an RV to pick up our oldest daughter from college. And she graduated, so like, we're not doing this again. Uh, and a really cool app, if you're, uh, if you have, you don't need to have an RV, but there's an app called iOverlander. It's completely free. Um, it's basically a place where you can find places to stay, places to get water, places to, if you have tanks to dump, you know, sewage. <laughs> so it's a really cool app. Uh, you can leave notes and you can kind of see how recent the experience was. Another cool app is uh, Greenlight. It's like a bank for kids. So if you have, have teenagers and they're now like both, they have like savings and they're an investment. These are small numbers, but it's, it's a cool way to kind of learn a little bit of responsibility. Um, and I recently saw two films, um, neither particularly great, but they kind of stood out. One is called Dragged Across Concrete with Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn. It's like so bad it's good kind of film. Beautiful photography, uh, and pretty good, um, pretty good dialogue. I think H. Craig, I don't remember the director's name. It doesn't really matter. The other one is um, called Greenberg. It's a pretty old film, like 10 years old, maybe 12 years old, starring uh, Ben Stiller. It's, it's so neurotic. It's, um, I don't know, good, good film, but kind of hard to watch. Uh, that's all. That, those are my picks. Awesome. Now, one last thing, if people want to follow you online or connect with you over any of this stuff, where, where do they find you? So you can find a Yaroslav as Jay Larky on Twitter and GitHub. And you can find me as ABS on Twitter and GitHub. Awesome. Yeah. This was awesome. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. All right. We'll wrap it up here. Till next time, Max out.